When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. This is your host, Rachel Jamison. Today, I am joined by Dave and Amanda Allen. They live in northern Indiana. Yeah. So welcome, you guys. I met Dave at a baker's event, which if people listen to the podcast, they have heard me talk about going to baker's events. And um, and I was really interested in all the things that he is doing. And then I started hearing about all the things that Amanda is doing with the animals that they have. But I'm not exactly sure all of the things that you do at your homestead. So my first question that I wanted to ask was how you ended up here. How did you guys end up as homesteaders? Did you grow up that way? Or is this something that happened later? So ironically, we were both kind of city folk. Um, Dave grew up in the city on very small parcel. What neighborhood? I lived in the suburbs growing up. And when I was in about third grade, we moved to 18 acres and was all wooded and we didn't really do anything with it. Um, it was nice to live in the country, but we, we had a garden one year. It failed miserably. We didn't try again. So when we became adults on our own, and this was prior to us even meeting each other, we started homesteading on our own individual journeys. Um, of course, we went with the gateway animal to homesteading, the chicken. Egg-laying chickens, the gateway animal. Yeah. Hits you every time. Yep. yep. And um I, I'm branched out into ducks and so did Dave, but different breeds. Dave went with the Muscovies, which are now the ducks that we have on our property. And I tried about eight different breeds. Um, I like to eat them. I didn't like taking care of them. They were different personalities. We'll just say that. Uh, we met when we were working at the sheriff's department and decided that might as well homestead together. So I, yeah. we combined. And I think when we combined, we wound up with like 50 or 60 birds between chickens and ducks. Chickens and ducks. Yeah, we had quite a few oh, wow. in the beginning, um, but that was about it. Just chickens and ducks. We didn't do anything else. Um, we moved that homestead after combining it. We moved it. Um, and then we started to expand the homestead. We got into our first trial with uh, pasture-raised poultry for meat birds. Uh, this is also when we, when I infamously got conned into getting goats. Um, <laughs> the, deal, the deal was uh, Amanda wanted goats. Um, she wanted to start using the goat milk soap uh, if you want to start making it no not even oh no it's to clear property at the beginning we, <laughs> to clear vines it's yeah. to clear property and we wanted to drink the fresh milk and um we learned very quickly that um when goats have a common fence line the bucks and the does that goat milk has a, a oh. taste to it Okay. It can taint it with like a musky scent. I have heard yeah. of this. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It is. Uh, it gets. It gets pretty funky pretty quick. And we tried a lot of different avenues with it. We tried making yogurt out of it. I think the kids gagged at the yogurt. Yeah. Um, we we tried the milk. We tried. We we did successfully make a couple rounds of cheese, uh, some queso fresco out of it. Um, but they got mad because I was heavy handed on the garlic yeah. and. Um, <laughs> So 
I learned quick that cheese making was more exact. And so I needed to find a way as everyone's mind was already on the the milk was tainted, even after we solved the problem. Right. Um, So no one drank it. Everybody refused. And I honestly can't blame them because I also say the same thing. Yeah, it was really bad. Yeah. It was real bad. So we had all these goats and I had all this excess milk and I started to make soap. And (laughs) it was like my winter hobby project when we were both working full time still. And it was kind of fun around the holiday season. And that's kind of where the homestead went. I mean, we've gotten other animals like rabbits, um, geese, turkeys, turkeys. Yep. Um, we still do ducks. We still have egg layers. We now, we probably do about a hundred, 150 meat birds a year. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, That's what we start with. Um, you know, different years have always been, you know, as we, we have, once we grew that homestead, we again moved it to where we are in Northwest Indiana. Um, and here we were really able to expand it to more goats. Um, we could expand the number of pasture poultry we were doing for ourselves. We could expand our turkeys, expand our rabbits. Um, you know, so the homestead's kind of grown and it's, you know, ask anybody at homesteads, there's no real finish line. Right. Um, You know, you're always, you're always working on the next project. Um, You know, eventually we'd like to, to do some pasture raised hogs here. We think we have the space to do that. Um, How many acres do you you know? It just, it, it continues to grow, but we, we both got into it as combat veterans. It was something that we were hearing on our own, a lot of vets getting into it. Um, because it was very therapeutic for yeah. people. Yes. Um, and we really, I think we we both really, we found that kind of on our own. But then as we expand, as we expanded the homestead um, and continued to to branch out into different things, I think we've we've really found that to be really true. I mean, it's just really, really helpful. Yeah. How many acres do you guys have? We have seven, just under seven. Okay. Wow, you guys are doing just, a lot on seven acres then. Yeah, it's, and we're not even using it all. That's why we can expand into hogs. Okay. Um, you know, we really, we try to use every square foot of this property to produce something. Okay. Um, and we, you know, we rotate uh, livestock through pastures. We rotate them around to try to make sure we're not, you know, we're, we're working on building the soil here, which was not great when we got here. Um, we just continue to work on building that soil and that be our focus. And then the livestock just becomes a part of that machine. Okay. Yeah. And we don't believe in having anything on the property that doesn't contribute to something. Right. So we don't, we contribute. The dogs maybe don't contribute, but um they therapy therapy like we don't have flowers okay we have flowers they have some additional purposes either in the soap making business or in medicinal or culinary right um yeah everything's got the dual yeah everything here has to have a purpose that's that's the rule yeah, when you're dealing with small acreage, you definitely have to be really um, specific at, and pointed in the direction that you're taking it, because otherwise, you just don't have enough room for it. Yeah, yeah you, 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 we definitely know we can't do everything we want to do. Um, and, you know, yeah, would we like to have a dairy cow? Yeah, we would, but we don't have the acreage for it. It right. would cost us yeah. far too much in hay. Um, Because we can't pasture raise that dairy cow. We just don't have enough room left over. Um, You know, I mean, even that, you know, we always have an idea of where we want to go. But as anybody that does this knows, you can come up with whatever plan you want. 
but the animals are going to figure out what they're going to do and you have to work around them. Uh, yeah. For instance, we had, we've been working on a garden space, a pretty large garden space. It's about 30 by 120 um, that we have been just since we moved here a couple of years ago, just really working that soil with compost and um, kelp and blood meal and really just trying to amend that soil and, and make it fertile for that garden. This was our first year that we were really going to hopefully get a decent crop out of that garden and be able to can some things. The problem is we made the soil really good. The, the vermiculture was coming up. There were a lot of worms. There were a lot of bugs. The chickens also discovered that. Oh, so no. 60 oh, no. plants went in and I think there were two, two survivors in two days. They yeah, had eaten chickens all are, 60 plants. Oh yeah. They're terrors. They're, they're yeah, wonderful they, when you want them to do that and you don't want them to do that. It's yeah. Well, so, and we've tried clipping wings because they went over two fences. Yep. But our beautiful little raptors have decided that they can walk up the fence by just flapping their wings and then they walk up it because the ducks taught them how to do that. Oh my word. They're little Houdinis, a bunch of them. Yeah. They, they, they are something special. So <laughs> front of the house and hide the garden from them hopefully um hopefully you don't discover it but it's i mean it's a two-year setback here you know it's yeah. it was two years of soil amending and and getting that really where we wanted to be and now we start all over again um but that's 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 normal life on a homestead homesteading you know, isn't it yeah that is a hundred percent homesteading you know yeah do you guys have um so do you guys, what, what purpose do your rabbits have? Are they meat rabbits then, or are you using those for your garden soil or both? So kind of both. Um, the idea was the rabbits outside pen for the summer months was in with the old garden section. Um, obviously we're not moving them up front because of zoning laws we're not allowed to have certain infrastructure in front of our house insert eye roll because there's no video um, <laughs> so we're still going to be using that but right now the little raptors or chickens are just cleaning up and keeping that nice and tidy but we do use the rabbits as meat so the rabbits that we have are our pets um and then they're, they're breeding the breed stock. stock. So then okay, once yep. they breed, then their babies move out onto a pasture rotation. Um, and they just go on a tractor and every day they get moved to fresh ground. Uh, it's very clean, very sanitary. That's cool. And once they're ready. We butcher away. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, you know, I know a lot of homesteaders always want to start with chickens. And that's everybody jokes. That's the gateway animal. Right. I don't think there's an easier, quicker animal to raise than a rabbit. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm really starting to, I think that will be one of our, when we move, it'll be one of our first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking on average, you're talking, depending on the breed, you're talking about an eight to 12 week from birth to butcher. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. You don't need pluckers. You don't need scalders. True. The butchery takes about three minutes. Yes. It's very, very fast. It's a very which method lean. method do you use? The broomstick What's method? What's that? Do, which method do you use? The broomstick method? <laughs> For method? <laughs> As I think, uh, uh, who called it that? At Baker's. What's that? Joe Salatin calls it. Yeah, Bill Salatin calls it a bopper method. Uh, oh, Frank yeah. calls it a bopper method. Bopper. Um, yeah, but it's uh, we use that, and then we just slit the jugular after okay. we hit them. And I mean, it's, and it's just super fast and clean and you don't need any special, you need a, a pair of wire cutters and a decent knife and that's it. And it's cool, yeah. as fast as it could be. I mean, faster than a chicken. Do you so, guys pasture again, those good, in, sorry. Yeah, pasture those in uh, tractors, like a tractor. Tractors. Um, do you do that in the winter too? Some, no, it's only uh spring and summer time. Okay venture for us okay with the weather that we've been having we could have continued to run them through the fall if we I know wanted to <laughs> i know 
Yeah. If I would have known, uh, we, it, we, yeah. Yeah, we never quite know how long we're going to have good good grass in the pasture. Right. Um, so, you know, you're you're always in a little bit of a guessing game. You don't want to breed them too early and have them, you know, handle out when it's 30 degrees and freezing. Yeah. And, but, you you know, you want the grass to establish and the pastures to establish before you put them out on it. But we also do in the wintertime, um, we're working on a collection system for their waste in the wintertime that we can then use as a compost tea type product on our own garden as an amendment. Uh, we're just kind of figuring out the logistics to that. Uh, we've got it worked out of the building. We just have to work on collection once it gets out now. Right. Now, are you guys doing pellets then when they're not on pasture? Or are you buying, getting what? How so are you our, in the our breed stock does stay on pellets and hay, alfalfa okay. cubes, um, things like that. And then we supplement with fresh from around the homestead from either gardening or um, trimming back any of the trees that have no purpose. Right. Well, we do, uh, thanks to some of the stuff we learned at Tribe Day, we have a mulberry tree, which we're going to be using, I think, also as we kind of trim that and use some of those trimmings to work with the rabbits and work with some of the other livestock here. That would be, that would be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. So your other, I mean, you have the meat birds, which you're pasture raising Mm -hmm. and you're obviously buying feed for those, but also have them on pasture and you do those just in the summer, obviously maybe spring and fall too. Yeah, I I think we our first run this year was actually turkeys, and I think we started them in March or eight, late March, early April. I think we got them to brood. Yeah. I think we were brooding in early April with the turkeys, which is earlier than we normally do that. Um, but it's you know we work on a we we always try to figure out the math of you know around January what can we get in and when for our Freedom Ranger pasture poultry. Um, and for the turkeys that we want, when can we get them in and how do we rotate them through the brooder? Because we only have one brooder space that we like to okay. use. Yeah. Um, so it, it's you do the math on when they're out, when they're in tractors, when they're moving around. So we're on that rotation. So, yeah, we started turkeys in April. Um, then we did our first run of 75 meat birds after that. Uh, they just got butchered. And our last set of 75 birds is out on pasture right now. We'll butcher them right around Halloween. But we custom mill our feed. So we're very hands-on with what our animals eat. Um, Everything's organic or non-GMO. You know, if there's a non-GMO component, we use a non-GMO ingredient. Or if there's there's not a non-GMO, we go with an organic component. And that's all custom milled from a, a mill around here that yeah, we get yeah. it from a couple thousand pounds at a time just to make it economical. But the the ratio of feed to pasture is pretty small. Um, you know, 75 birds are eating six to nine quarts of feed in 24 hours when they're that's full grown. Yeah, so it's so it's not bad at all. Yeah, we have a local mill too. Those are really nice because they can customize things exactly how you want it. Yeah, that's yep. cool. And you, yeah, and you guys are doing the turkeys? All feed. With all of it for all your animals? Yeah, goat feed, everything is done that way. Oh, really? Okay, even the goat feed. That's cool. Mm -hmm. So you guys have the geese too, right? Do you guys, what do you do with those? Are those like for protection? Do you eat them? They are guard geese. Okay. They are guard geese. (laughs) And want to eat them. Yeah, she wants to eat them. Um, (laughs) So the original idea was uh, we were going to get, you know, we were going to kind of try a couple breeds. Um, I think we tried, oh, um, Toulouse and like an African gray, and an African gray and a China white. I think a couple different, couple different breeds the first year to kind of see what we thought. Um, we liked the Toulouse quite a bit. It's a very cold hardy breed. Um, it's actually the breed that uh, they make foie gras out of. That's the foie gras goose. So. I don't know what that is. That is fatty goose liver. 
It's very oh, okay. fancy in French cooking. Um, like foie gras is a goose liver pate. That's okay. I don't know. Fancy people eat it in France. I don't understand it, but the, the geese are nice. It looks like cat food. Yeah. It does, yeah. <laughs> but it's a good, it's a it's a big bird, so it's got a lot of meat on it. The idea was once we settled on this breed, um, we would get a couple males and uh, you know, four or five females, brood them up, raise them with chickens, so they're used to being around other birds. They would be protectors to some of the you know small predators we have raccoons uh possums skunks things like that and they do a great job of that and the hope was that they would then start to self-replicate we just kind of let them do what they do let them self-replicate and then we could butcher off a couple every year that we wanted for our own consumption you know, holiday meal or, you know, throw a goose on the smoker or something like that to have a nice, nice family meal. What, what, what did work out was our math. Um, you know, I think we started with six, I had two males and four females, and we had one die early in the brooder. And I thought, well, as long as we don't lose another one, I know I've got at least one male. And then we lost another one. Oh, no. <laughs> No, I, they have laid, they have set on a nest. Um, I certainly have some male acting geese, uh, but I think I have all females right now. So the eggs are delicious. We've, we've learned that um, because they're nice. not self-replicating. We're just going to kind of have to bite the bullet and get a known sexed male and bring him in, and hopefully they'll start okay. doing their thing. That would be cool. And then their plan with that would be you would sell the meat? No, it's just for our own consumption. Oh, okay. Um, we don't we don't do a lot of selling. Okay, this is bartering or trading. Okay, yeah, yeah. we, we cool. do some trading things that we don't do, um, like pork or beef or or venison. If if nobody's gotten a deer this year, so we like to to trade for the things that we can't do. Um, I like that. We, yeah, well, you know, we learned early on, and it's a hard lesson for a lot of people to learn when they get into this. I think. Everybody wants to do everything. And you learn pretty quickly that not every property has the assets or the ability to do everything. So you have to pick and choose what works on your property and then do that really well. Get really good at that and then produce more than you need. And then trade that to the people that do the things you can't do. You know, I would love bees, but we're not in a great bee area. Um, we're surrounded by thousands yeah. of acres of monocrop agriculture that gets a lot of it gets sprayed, you know, with glyphosate and other things like that. It's an overspray zone that we've buffered with a driveway all the way to the back of our property. So because we don't want it on right. our food. And so that's been our safety net, but well, it has also, we've lost about 15 foot all the way yeah. through the back of our property yeah. for this overspray zone. Yeah. Well, so and, and, yeah. And not everybody is, uh, let's say a, a goat person. <laughs> right. Yeah. Some people, and I'm not going to name names. Let's call him Mark B. No, that's too obvious. Uh, M Baker, uh, is not a goat fan. I'm aware uh, right, and I keep yeah. trying to convert him, but it's not, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, but again, he doesn't, you know. But he has cows and he, he has, has land for to cows. do a dairy, yeah. a couple dairy cows. So he yeah, doesn't I, really need it. Yeah. I mean, I would love to have a cow, but I've milked a cow several times and I have no desire. I mean, what would I do with all that milk? And then I don't have goat like you. I don't even with 20 acres, we don't have cow property. It's mostly woods. I don't, and I'm not going to bring, I don't want to bring in hay, not enough to do a cow. And yeah, so I yeah, agree. not well, everybody would love property. to eat your acre. Yeah, I know are. they would. It's actually, it's actually part of our plan. And my husband raised goats when he was a kid and he loves them. So, and, oh. and we have lots of uh, blackberries and wild raspberries for them to Oh, they love, love that. <laughs> Yeah. Not that I like to plug it, but we do happen to have two for sale, Rachel, if you're interested. I wish I could. Not yet, though. We're not moved mm-hmm. there yet. Not yet. Well, you know, just kind of make them a house goat until then. Right. You, know, you put a baby diaper on them backwards and they're perfectly happy. And 
Yeah, because at the property right now, the bear and the local uh, bobcat would love it if we would put a goat out there for them to eat. Yeah, it's free feeding. Yes. <laughs> yes. They would. Yeah. yeah. So I have saved my questions about all your animals, unless you have more that you want to talk about. Talk about the goats, because I know that the goats are something that you guys use a lot for your other business, your soap business. Um, so let's talk about goats. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about goats. Goats. The uh, <laughs> I never wanted goats. The deal was, the deal was always I will manage the goats, but I'm not milking a goat. If she wanted goat milk, if Amanda wanted goat milk, she was responsible for milking. I was responsible for the maintenance of the animal. Um, so I spent a lot of time this year milking goats because that's the way it works. Um, but we, you know, we did a lot of things in the beginning that I think a lot of people do when they get into goats. Um, the first thing we thought was let's get minis because they eat less. So we started with, um, Nigerian dwarfs. My story. Oh, okay. Um, so I wanted Nigerian dwarfs. Nigerian dwarfs have one of the highest butter milk content or the butter fat content. And I thought that if you we were going to be drinking it, that I would prefer to go that route. Plus they would milk less. And so then I might not have that surplus. We also had younger kids at that time, um, about six and seven. So we decided that it was the safer route um, in case one got squirrely, not headbutting a kid in the head. Oh, right. Um, so we did get the Nigerian dwarfs at first. And no, did we learn quick? The, she is named on her papers Bunny. She is not Bunny. We have renamed her Maleficent because she's evil, vindictive, and smarter than I am. Um, she would, while I was trying to milk her, she would pick or step in the bucket, which is common. Um, people said, well, hobble her. So I tried hobbling her. She would just lay down and pin my hands into the bucket so that I couldn't do anything. So we got to the point where... I was told to suspend her from the rafters. And I said, no, we're yeah. done. I'm not hanging a goat from the rafters in a harness. I'm not doing it. I refuse. We decided to go in a different route. And I had a friend that had alpines. And there were alpine Toggenbergs. And some of them had some sonnen mixed in. They were pretty inexpensive. So we went that route. Um... That was a short-lived stint because it just was not, because of the interbreeding and the mixing, there was just a little bit too much of that muddled bloodline. So we learned to pay attention to who you're buying it from, even those that are your friends. We're just trying to get out from okay. under some mouths to feed. I understand. So... We found them new homes. They all retired to acreage that didn't want to milk at all and just wanted somebody to clean up their wood lines and tree lines and kill that poison mm -hmm. ivy. And so we switched to Nubians. So currently we have Nubians and Nigerian dwarves. The original Nigerian dwarves have been are consistent with us from the get-go. Um, there are babies and they're retired now. They're retired. And they're a little old. They're retired. The the Nubians are our, that's our working herd. Yeah, that's our working breeding herd. So I use Nubians because they also still have one of the highest buttermilk content. Okay. And they have, they're the second highest breed for milk production. Um, which ironically, it's their counterpart with no ears um La Manchas. the lamanchas they okay. take number one for milk production but they have ear envy they like to chew on nubians ears so we have currently we're sitting at 16 goats oh wow okay total 
Um, but we're, we only breed three at a time each year so that there's a break in between. We, we're not breeding a doe every year. We're not breeding it multiple times a year. It's just too hard on their system. So we do resting periods. Okay. Um, and in all honesty, at this point, we don't do anything with the milk other than it goes into storage for making goat's milk soaps. Okay. And how much do they, how much milk do they give? So each goat's different. Um, my best milker on the farm right now is milking out at a little less than a gallon twice a day. Oh, so two she's, gallons. She's a, she's a jam. Yeah. That's, wow, that's a lot. Heard of for a new band. Yeah. Um, normally you get about a gallon, maybe a little bit less out of a dough in a day. Okay. But she is, wow. she's a champ. She's an overachiever. <laughs> she she is. She's uh she's she's something for sure. <laughs> and you yeah. guys aren't drinking or, or making cheese. You're just doing soap with this right now. Yes. Okay. Purely purely goes into the soap. That's cool. Now, do you guys yeah. rotate rotationally graze those two as well as do the feed like from the mill? So in the they they each have their own paddocks which they rotate through. Um, and then on top of that, uh, you know, so when those pastures come in, that's, we we're done feeding hay. They live solely out on that pasture, get a very, very small amount of grain, um, during that summertime. Uh, but they do get some free choice mineral. Um, okay. my preference is to take the grain away, but somebody spoils the goats. I find that they're a little bit more obedient. Now, we're not talking about a lot of grain. We're talking about, you know, maybe a quart or a quart and a half for five full-grown goats. Um, right. So it's it's a really small amount. And I just, where you know, we'd like to get to the point where we're doing, you know, like some of the bigger herds do the 16 free choice minerals um, right. that they can pick through. But we're not set up for that right now. Um, so we do a a one to one goat mineral, which comes from Advanced Biologics, um, and they can eat that. And so we we kick in a little of the grain because it's got kelp in it, um, and some of the other things we've put in that feed mix, working with the mill to make sure they're getting all the vitamins and all the minerals to maintain that health throughout the summertime. That's cool. That sounds really neat. Um, so the minerals. Do you guys, how do you decide, or does that Advanced Biologics have a goat mineral supplement, or did you guys just decide based upon what your soil is missing? So uh, Advanced Biologics has, I think they call it goat sheep one-to-one mineral mix. Okay. Um, and that's what we use. Um, the The feed mill that we use uh, gets it shipped in. Um, so I just call him and tell him how many bags I need, and he adds it to my feed order, and away we go. And we do salt licks as well. And the goats know when they want it and right. know when they don't. That's yeah. pretty they're, wild. They're isn't smarter. It? They're isn't smart enough wild? to figure out what they, they want. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. They do. It's weird how they know that. You know, they yeah. know when they they know when they pick through the pasture. They know what they want to eat and what they don't want to eat. The uh the famous saying is a goat will eat anything, and that is one hundred percent not true. <laughs> they are some of the pickiest eaters. Ever they will pick really? through a bale of hay to get the clover out of it, to get the alfalfa out of it. They'll tear everything else, throw it on the ground, use it as bedding, use it as bedding, step on it, go to the bathroom on it, never eat it. You know, they Climb they on. are a picky animal. Yeah, they are. So yeah, if you want a lawnmower, it has to be sheep. <laughs> okay, okay. That's good to know. You guys don't have sheep, do you? Okay. Now with the goats, how have you uh how have you fenced them? Because I hear that's a big issue. <laughs> we are fencing experts, certified fencing experts after moving homesteads multiple times and everywhere we ever moved had zero fencing. Right. We had to build everything ourselves. And we even had a tree fall on our goat paddock 
and the tree was over 150 foot tall and it didn't even level the fence. Yeah, the fence still stayed wow. up. Um, so, no so you guys started. for hire? <laughs> that was, yeah, that was our certification. That's how we knew we knew what we were doing. Um, but we use, I mean, we just use a four-foot woven wire fence um, with T-posts, H-braces. We tension it. It's a very classic way to fence. Um, this is where I will differ from Mark Baker. So Mark tensions his fences in an X, and I don't. I tension one direction. Um, that's the only thing we, we differ on, but the, okay. the methodology is the same. Um, and we have done on this property thousands of feet of that fencing uh, in different paddocks. So we're, we're really good at it now. Um, but we have started to add some electric, okay. um, not to keep goats in. The only time our goats have ever broken out is because we left gates open. Uh, okay. They have never jumped the fence, they have never done anything like that um but what we did notice is the boys when the pastures got tall the boys like to climb up on the fence so they could look over the tall grass and see the female pet of course because they like to check the ladies out and so over time they started to kind of smash that fence down oh and okay. so we had to rip that fence out we're in the process of restringing it but what we learned is we need to run a hot wire there to keep them from climbing it. It has nothing to do with keeping them in. It's just to keep them off the fence. Okay. We have one buck that is only 25% boar mixed in there. And he is aptly named Tank. He's huge. He's probably over 200 pounds easily. He is a big boy. Yeah. His oh, head man. His head is at my chest. He's the oh reason why the fence got pushed down. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> yeah. a lot of boy. Um, and he loved his ladies. He and he would like to be with them all the time. Of course. And he definitely likes to keep an eye on them. So he's definitely the culprit for why that happened. But it's it's okay. You know, you, you just learn and adapt to what the animal behavior is and and just adapt from it. So it's very easy, easy killer. Um, it's very easy for us to add, you know, a couple hot wires and a solar charger out there okay. just enough to keep them back off the fence. So you guys don't have any big animal predators like bears and bobcats. Bears and bobcats. We do deal with coyotes, though, quite a bit. Yeah, we have those, um, too. Coyotes around here get pretty big. They don't they will go after a young goat. Um, luckily. The other goats in the pens, there's enough of them that we haven't had a problem with a coyote getting a, especially a young kid uh, when they're susceptible. But the coyotes have decimated our duck population last year. Um, oh, man. We lost 15 full grown ducks and probably 30 ducklings oh, over the course of the year. Wow. Um, yeah, they really hit us hard. Um, so we actually uh, befriended a trapper who. Took care of that problem for us. Yep. Yep. Um, we have not had seen that as much, but the corn's still up around us. Once that corn goes down the, and the winter weather starts coming in, the coyotes get a little bit more active around here. So we'll, yeah. we'll we heard them. They're close. yeah, they're they're close. They're howling at night, you know, making the dogs go nuts. Right. Uh, so we don't yeah. we don't deal with bears. We don't deal with with uh, you know bobcats. We don't have any of those big predators around here. The only coyotes, concern yeah. that we have truly is that the coyotes actually breed with um, wild dogs. Oh. And they don't follow the pack or territorial rules. And they're normally a little bit bigger and more willing to do things that they shouldn't be doing. A little bit more sense. dairy. Yeah. So actually... we do have to heard of that happen i've actually it makes sense now because i was actually listening to i either read it or listened to it somewhere where someone was saying that they were having issues with really big coyotes and somebody mentioned that they probably bred with some wild dogs yeah they look like wolves wow. just a little bit smaller um and like scrappier looking mm -hmm. um but yeah they can there's a term down here for it and I couldn't even recall it, even if I tried, but 
they actually have coined a phrase for the breeding of that in this area because it is bad. Okay. Well, we actually, on Thanksgiving morning here at 1030, I mean, middle of the day, basically, to a coyote, uh, in the field next to us, we watched a coyote grab one of our full-grown Muscovy ducks, which feathers and guts and all, that's got to be a 40-pound bird. And it took that like it was nothing and took off with it in the middle of the day. And it was like less than 50 foot from our back porch. Wow. So so they're they're pretty daring. Will those hot fences help with keep those out or? Well, the duck was actually outside the fence in all honesty. The ducks (laughs) are the ones that taught the chickens how to climb the fence. Oh, that's right. By flapping the wings. Yeah. And then they climb up it. So that male had done that and he was eating the fresh picked corn and the droppings out in the field and buffet out there. Oh yeah. He was just loving his life till it was over. And he became the buffet. Yeah. Yeah. But he looked like our cat. And so that turned into a very interesting Thanksgiving morning of kids bawling and so we found the cat. Everybody crying. Oh, yeah. she was outside and she was on that fence row, but wasn't her. She escaped. Wow. Well, how did you end up? So you said, was it your goal from the beginning? I think you said it was for the goat's milk to turn into soap, right? No, that's Dave's okay. philosophy. I had no intention <laughs> of making soap. Okay. So how um, did you decide? get into that it wound up being I liked watching crafters make different things and I started down the YouTube tutorial on YouTube University and I stumbled on a couple soap makers and I'm like well now I have this excess goat's milk Um, I'm not able to make cheese as quickly to use it up milk's going bad. I wonder what it'd be like to make some soap. So I got this really simple, um, like hit off of Amazon. I tracked down some hundred percent lie and I just did the process and I was hooked. It literally took one time and it was phenomenal. Um, I started it as just to the same homesteaders mentality. Why pay somebody else for something that I can do myself and potentially do it better? So from there, I started to notice um, we had less skin conditions. We had less issues with irritation. Um, It was just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So I started to give it as gifts to friends and some, a couple people said, oh, you should start selling this, turn it into a business. So at that time, I branched out under our homestead name, Arrowhead Homestead, and quickly learned that people don't like to pay attention to soap and buy soap from the same area that we talk about butchery and uh, raising livestock. So I went to Homestead Essentials. I'm still getting better. Um, But Homestead Essentials, people are looking for like the recipe. They don't want to buy the products. They want the tips and tricks. And so then we merged with my military experience and that um, artsy feel of it with Bohica Soapworks. And Bohica Soapworks is kind of a conglomeration between homesteading and the old school apothecary. So I make things like uh, a plantain and chamomile healing ointment. Okay. That is just from... Uh, plantain the weed out in everybody's yard. Um, I make beer butters. I have lotions that are coconut oil free because I have coconut oil is the only oil that has any cleansing properties. 
And so you're leaving a cleanser on your skin when you put coconut oil on your skin. So I've started to do different things to help heal people's skin and their bodies and their reactions to different aspects within their lives, their environments. And it's become a passion um, to the point where if somebody comes to me and tells me that my recipe doesn't work for their skin type, I'll actually work with them to find what does work with for them. That's really cool. Um, I've gotten into, sorry, (laughs) chasing a cat. Um, I've gotten into doing pioneer areas where I actually do teaching and lessons. I teach kids and anyone else who's interested to stay and watch how to do soap making. I have um, currently it is only in-seat lessons here in Northwest Indiana. I am working on branching out into doing an online lesson forum. I'm writing a soap making book for tips and tricks that will also go along with the soap making lessons. So you get recipes. Um, You actually learn what the oils are used for so that you can tailor and figure out what your skin needs and different things like that. That's really cool. And the, the business has really expanded. You know, you have all the soap that she makes, all the apothecary things, the facial serums and the healing ointments and then um, beard products and candles and sugar scrubs and lotions and and all the things that Bohica Soapworks has become, this basically bath body and beauty company, candle company. Um, and it's gotten to the point where we were lucky enough last Wednesday, officially, um, Amanda stopped working off the farm and that is her sole business now. That's so, awesome. Huge wow. step. Yeah, yeah. Huge, huge step for us. You know, that's awesome. But it's, you know, we do, we do events at county fairs here. We do some some craft shows. There's That's what I was going to ask you. Do you... Soap, yeah. Yeah. Bohicasoapworks.com, the website where you can find all of our products. Um, I'll put that in the show notes for people to link. Perfect. To yep. Um, she also uh, goes to Indiana State Fair now every year. Okay. Um, in their Pioneer Village and teaches and, and has a spot down there where you can buy her products and try them out. So it's uh, the business is really taken off and it's taking off because it's a good product. You know, it's once people use it, they're hooked and they want to do it all the time. I had a customer come to me. She was roughly in her forties and extremely bad acne. And she says, I've tried everything. Do you have anything you'd recommend? And I said, yes. And she purchased the product and two days later, I received a message from her stating that she is in love. It's already starting to heal her skin and that she will be purchasing for the rest of her life. She's selling like everyone. um, And she adores that. Uh, And it's knowing your products, knowing where it comes from. When I use different vendors, I get products tested to make sure that they're clear and clean and that it truly is what it's supposed to be. Okay. Um, I have my fragrance oils checked. And although I do fragrance oils, and I know that a lot of people will say that that's not all natural and they're correct. Um, I have those fragrance oils tested to make sure that there isn't anything that could potentially cause skin rashes, okay. chemical burns. Yeah. Um, and then I do have the full apothecary line that is the clean soaps. There's no fragrance to them. If there's any fragrance, it comes from the oils that's within it. I don't have a tendency to do a lot of essential oil-based soaps mm-hmm. um, only because essential oils naturally degrade over time. And yeah, that's what I've read some, about them. With oh, soap yeah. and stuff. Yeah, with a lot of that. So it just yeah. 
And, this, and you so have to use it's a fun. Yeah four bars of soap for me in a summer event, by the time you got to that fourth bar, that's unscented soap now. Yep. And for me as a business owner and knowing what I would want from purchasing, I, I didn't like that thought. Yeah. So instead I've gone the route and it's cost a little bit more money to ensure that everything's clean um, but individuals who state that they can't use fragrance oils have been able to use samples, small samples of mine and have no issues. And they've come back. Um, the healing ointment has healed individuals with pretty deep burns. Um, I got into that because I am accident prone, like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. And so I was constantly having to use a lot of Neosporin and I started to think, well, I wonder what I can come up with. And it wound up being a lot better. I heal about two times faster than using regular um, medicated ointments. It has helped um, numerous people, including my husband. He, what is the thing in the book? Oh, I don't know what the name is. I have, I have a like a callus buildup in my foot that feels like a pebble if I don't oh, get it okay. taken care of. And uh, so I put this plantain and chamomile ointment on it and it keeps everything soft. So I don't oh, have that hard, cool. hard core that, that forms up there. So it's re been really, really helpful. And he doesn't have to go to the podiatrist as frequently. And even the podiatrist said, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Keep doing it. It works great. And you, you it also, also helps my elephant elbows too. You know, my dry elephants. elbows. Yeah. I've never heard of it called that, but that's that's yeah. cute. Have you and you said you also do shampoo. You were talking about that before we yeah. started. And uh yeah. So shampoo. So initially bars. I started out with just using my soap bars. Goat's milk soap is phenomenal and it's great for hair as well. However, as I started to learn and educate more on to what my hair needed, I branched into a different route and my shampoo and conditioner bars, the conditioner bar can be used in the shower as a detangler. Mm -hmm. So it's like a two-in-one. Uh, I don't have to use a detangler anymore on my hair and I'm extremely curly when I actually put product in it um, and do work, but it tangles difficult and it's quick. And so I created a conditioner bar for all types of hair that it will detangle any knots, any um, items while still being extremely moisturizing. The shampoo bars have, I've heard reviews from customers that their hair stopped growing in 2020 when they got COVID. And after using my shampoo bars, after a couple of months, they started to notice new growth and that their hair was softer and was more subtle. Um, they were getting that sheen back to it, that healthy look to it. So I am currently, I'm getting them labeled up. And this weekend we're launching the fall lineup for our hair care products. We've got blueberry thyme, which is always a fan favorite. Um, no pumpkin spice. No pumpkin spice. Uh, no pumpkin spice. No pumpkin oh, spice. It's that time of year. <laughs> a difficult time with putting pumpkin on my hair. Right. Um, but there, I have an apple rose that is coming out that is just oh. very light and creamy. Um, so when you I say that, that you've got you're using apple rose. Are you using apples or roses in that? Or just so I do scent? in the soaps, in the goat's milk soaps, but I don't do it in the hair care. Okay. I do uh, infusions, oil infusions for the hair care. Okay. Um, but I don't put any additives or anything like that on top to make it look all pretty because right. I don't want to be pulling it out of my own hair. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With and the, then, um, go ahead. 
I have a cinnamon sugar that is coming out and it is just got the warm spice, which is why I also didn't do the pumpkin spice. Ah, there you go. See, he's she's got the holiday thing going on there. With the goat's milk soap, what is that process? So you milk the goats and then what do you do? You freeze it or do you make soap right away? Do you make soap in big batches? Like how does, it sounds like a really busy day at your farm. I'm really thankful she doesn't have to work off the farm anymore because it was, every day was 16 hours of work. Yeah, yeah. That's what, like, how does all that work? You guys got a lot going on on a small spot. So you milk the goats. Um, You can use the goat's milk right away into soap making. However, there's uh, sugar in milk. And when sugar is added to a lime mixture, it heats the process up hotter and you can get what's called well scorched milk and it does not come out of the soap. Mm -hmm. That scent carries into the soap making. So I freeze it to counteract that scent so it doesn't scorch it. And then you slowly incorporate your lye into the mixture. Um, I have additional additives that I put into the lime mixture. And while that's cooling, you melt your oils, you combine the oils. And once they're about 20 degrees difference, no more, then you mix and you start stick blending. Um, Pour it into a mold, wait 24 hours, cut it. You got soap. Technically, you can use it right away after that 24-hour period. It's just a softer bar. And you can wait uh, usually about four weeks to even years down the road to use the bar at that point in time. Okay. Just continues to get harder. You're working with like three to four gallons of milk a day. So you're making a lot of soap. Well, and I store them cubed up in the freezer. So when I was working outside of the home, I wasn't able to get through that much soap because even my big batch of soap is only using about 60 ounces of goat's milk. So at 60 ounces each go, you're not going through a lot. So I started freezing. I have my own freezer, deep freeze. The chest freezer totally dedicated to goat goat milk milk ice cubes in our house. Nice. And come January is the high production time frame. So January through March is when I'm going to be doing the big push. Because in the summer, I don't have much time to be making product because I'm at more of the event. But that's also the time that I'm also milking. And that's why Dave was complaining earlier that this year he milked more than he normally does, which still was only a handful. It was a lot. I was milking a lot. Are they, are you milking by hand? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we milk by hand. We we have tried, insert uh, every milking apparatus that you possibly can get. We've had. Teeth don't. Seat dumps it, cups are different sizes, vacuum pumps are too strong, vacuum pumps are too weak. We've had we've rebuilt surge milkers, converted them to goats. That doesn't work. We've bought cheap vacuum pumps online, those don't work. We've bought expensive vacuum pumps online, those don't work. Goats don't like the noise because they're particular. Um, so we found it was just faster and less stressful on the animal to, to just, just get in there and milk by hand it, it i we mean you don't put them in the stand anymore that's yeah. how spoiled they are they yeah. eat in their pens and we sit on the ground in the pen and milk right with them yep. they're loose it's very natural for them now um But because I was working a school schedule, I was having to be at work at seven in the morning. And so it wasn't getting light out early enough. We didn't have electric in our barns yet. That was a success as of two weeks ago. We've got power. We'll get into that too. Yeah. Um, Huge. 
huge step for us. Yeah. So he was complaining because we would divide and conquer. He would milk one dough and I'd milk the other dough yeah. so that I could get to work on time. Nice. It sounds, I mean, I'm going to have to try to get down there and see your place. It sounds great. That's ever growing. It's always growing. It's always changing. You know, she mentioned electric in the barns. You know, we have six different livestock buildings here that are all used for a single purpose right now, but they're all, it's all a very modular setting. We can move buildings if we need to, because they're built okay. like sheds. Um, we can change what we use a building for if we need to, just by converting some of the inside around. Uh, but we never had any power here. Um, going out to those buildings, everything was built, you know. Or water. We had no water. Um, so oh. every day for years, so you the first couple of years here, and what we hauled water, <laughs> hauled water in a tank. We uh, there was extension cords going all over the place. If we needed electric, there was um, we had solar power, solar power bubblers in the winter time to try to keep the ice down. But yeah. and then we would sledgehammer, sledgehammer hit the ice and scoop them all out every day. Uh, and when it was really cold here. We would do that. There, there was a week or week or ten days where we were busting ice out. Yeah, we would bust bust ice every two to three hours during the day. Um, we would haul water in a tank. We'd have to stop and like open the tank valve so it didn't freeze shut because it was so cold. Um, so finally, finally this year, with the project to end all projects, we have water points now all over our farm we have uh the beginning of our solar project has started so we're we're not off grid yet but we are starting well, supplement are with solar that's we cool. are trying to go off grid that's getting down the road a little bit but as we can kind of expand the panels and expand battery storage and things like that we eventually will be able to come off grid We've got electric into all the buildings. I can actually use a trough heater in the wintertime. I can't tell you how excited I am for that. I can just turn on a hydrant in a paddock and fill up a water trough um, or or fill up a bucket of water. I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am that this project finally happened. And I it was can't, a long time I can't even imagine because I hauled water for two summers and uh, doing and I didn't do it for animals. I just did it for 50 trees. So I can't imagine doing it for animals. Oh, yeah. yeah. hundred. I mean, 150 yeah. meat birds every day, 10, yeah. 10 to 16 goats every day. We have yeah. multiple water tanks, depending on what we were doing. It would require Dave's truck or we could do it with the tractor, depending on what needed to be done, how much water needs to be hauled. How many trips we needed to take, how many places we needed to go, you know. Well, that is, is a great were. improvement for you guys. And you guys are doing that with some solar with the hopes of adding yes. more solar. That's yep. great. Some solar now, you know, we, we put in a big ground mount for our solar panels. We um, have half of what we need. Well, we have half of one rack. Right. Which, so we have, we can put 20 on a rack. We have 10 on it right now. We will consume all that energy for the most part during the day. Um, if there's any excess we don't use, uh, the power company here rips us off and buys it at a tenth of what they sell it to us for. But <laughs> eventually, as we add batteries and add more panels to that, then we can click off from the power company and not have to worry. You know, the, the rough math here is it'll take us about 40 panels Okay. Um, to be totally off grid, so we're a quarter of the way there, but it'll it'll happen as time you're goes further on. Than, you're further than I am on that dream, so hey, it's it's you know, and I and I learn a lot from talking with people at Tribe Day and, and people yeah. that are you know are real experts in solar. You know, Dave and Sonia Boone. Yeah, um, I talked with him a lot this last summer, trying to figure out you know panels and wattage and and listening to all the words that I don't understand. Because I don't do the right. electric Amanda does. Um, so how to convert, you know, what 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 really is a kilowatt hour and, and what's the difference between amps and watts and and all those things and just learning that so that we can make some smart decisions here. 
Very cool. You got to do that all while I was gone at State Fair. Yeah, that was that was my project over the summer was was being the general contractor for that. Well, it sounds like it's going to really be an improvement to your homestead and your life by so much. You guys just bought a bunch of time. Oh, yeah, it's it cut the just the daily morning chore uh, task, in, which now doesn't require any diesel. It doesn't require any machinery and it cut the time in half. Yeah. So it's it's much much better for us. And we're walking it all. Back. So yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's a lot easier. Nobody's having to climb on the back of a tractor and try and balance while Dave's driving like a lunatic. I drive. I'm a very safe driver, <laughs> uh, but nobody's having to carry five gallon buckets of water. Right. You know, 200 feet across a paddock to In a your trough. Back and and your and, arms and your hands yeah. and yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's. It's it's a huge improvement here. That's cool. You know? Yeah. Well, guys, we've been on for like an hour, I think, if not longer. And um, I could sit and talk to you all day because I have before and it's a blast. But wish I don't want to take advantage of your time. And we try to keep this at about an hour. But I'm going to have to try to get down to your place and see it. That would be fun. Um, and um, welcome. always welcome down here. We will. And I'm going to get that website because I'm not sure how to spell it. I'll get that website if you want to send that to me, and then I can put that in the show notes. So that would be great. But, Sounds um, good. With that, I'm going to thank you guys for, for coming. Well, thanks again, Rachel. Thank, thank you. you. Well, that's it for my interview with Dave and Amanda Allen. I hope that you guys enjoyed the podcast and that you will go and visit their website. And until next time, grow where you're planted.